0: All it takes is a click to listen to RTI Online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at English.rti.org.tw.
1: This is Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today. Up ahead this hour, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. But we start off today's English language features with a new episode of Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Thursday, March, April 9th. I'm still thinking we're in March. (laughs) I'm John Van Trieste, and... uh Today we're social distancing once again, it's just me and Shirley Lin here in the studio today. Yes, hello. Up next we'll be talking about how Taiwan's success in keeping COVID-19 at bay has attracted some unexpected celebrity attention. Then we'll be hearing about the Taiwanese medical inventions attracting new, or in some cases renewed, attention. And should children who crash their bikes be subject to breathalyzer tests, we're going to hear a story about what some people in Taiwan are seeing as a case of bureaucratic overkill. All that coming up next, please stick around. Well, you'll never guess. Well, maybe you can. I don't know. Of all people, uh, what celebrity is paying attention to Taiwan's struggle against COVID-19? Um, the USA? It's in the US, yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, all celebrities, right? Um, one in particular. I think there may have been a couple others. One in particular? Yes. We're talking about no. Barbara Streisand. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do You know Barbara Streisand. Yes, right? of Very course. famous, very many of the classics. Um, and she, on April 5th, praised Taiwan for its handling of the uh, COVID-19 outbreak. And well, it was on on Twitter and I guess here goes her next China tour out the window. But anyway, um, she said that uh, despite how close we are to China and the fact that we have or had lots of direct flights to Wuhan, we managed to, quote, stave off the, stave off the worst, end mm. quote. And she pointed out that at the time, although we've got a few more since then, Taiwan only had 350 cases and five deaths and that most places are still open and Uh, Apparently, there was a follow-up tweet, actually. So not just a passing... Bit of attention, actually. Apparently, she put some thought into, you know, what's going on over here. And uh, she cited Dr. Jason Wong, who is a former project manager for our National Health Insurance Reform Task Force, uh, which said that Taiwan was able to accomplish this through, quote, aggressive action. And then she posted a video interview of Wong, in which he said that as early as January 1st, we'd sent people from the CDC to check symptoms and pass- of all passengers arriving from Wuhan. So Taiwan did start acting very early. It's true. Yeah. And then eventually we start, started stopping flights from Wuhan and other places that we declared level three alert areas. And people who had already come from there were already told to put themselves into quarantine for 14 days. Um, it's gotten a very positive response. I know from her fans here in Taiwan, I'm friends with a few of them, uh, but also <laughs> from some people in very high places here as well. Uh, specifically President Tsai Ing-wen has responded to, oh, really? she retweeted Barbara Streisand. I okay. just, this, I don't know, uh, a, a, a collection of names that you wouldn't expect to be tweeting each other, but that's what Twitter is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, She said that it was, quote, encouraging that Stryzan had voiced support for Taiwan's approach to fighting COVID-19. And she said that Taiwan, she said this a couple of times now, uh, that Taiwan is, quote, more than willing to share its experience in in handling this disease. Um, And uh, so there's a a little uh, sort of direct uh, printout of this quote in this story that I have here. Um, And then the foreign ministry also tweeted back to uh, Barbara Streisand. And actually, I think they must have a big Streisand fan in the house because they actually used a quote from one of her um, songs from one of her films, actually. A Star uh, is Born. It's a 1976 okay. film, apparently. I, I have not seen this. Um, I might have. I don't remember. It's um, been a while. They said, quote, the sky's the limit when like-minded partners come together and inspire one another to greater heights. I, oh. wish I only wish they'd attached a video of someone from the foreign ministry singing that. I'm not sure <laughs> if that was some or a line. Um, Maybe mm-hmm. a lyric? I don't know.
2: I, yeah, I don't recall that, those um,
1: lyrics. And they said that they're flattered by uh, its praise for Taiwan's coronavi- coronavirus-fighting capabilities. So, uh, I guess uh, we're getting attention in, like I said, some unexpected places. I wonder who the next celebrity to notice us will be. Really? All right, next it's a tale of two medical inventions with Taiwanese inventors behind them. One very well known, well known around the world, although people probably don't know that it has a Taiwanese inventor. The other one is pretty new and it's attracting some attention abroad. So first, Shirley, tell us about uh, the one invention that everyone probably by now knows. knows about, but probably isn't aware, has a Taiwanese person behind it.
2: I know. We're talking about N95 respirator uh, masks. I know. I, and, yeah.
1: and I have a, I come from a family with a lot of medical people in it and... Uh, yeah, they use them. They're,
2: that's what's keeping them safe right now. So that, thank right. goodness for this inventor. I know, that's amazing. I mean, uh, at the time of this uh, reporting, I didn't know that it's a Taiwanese inventor, but he is actually Dr. Peter Tsai, who's a, who was a professor at the University of Tennessee's material sciences right. so in the engineering this, department. I'm not sure, because it says he
1: invented it with a team. So I'm not sure if we can totally claim this as a Taiwanese invention, but close enough. We'll take credit for it anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, well, he invented the technology used to produce um, the filter media of the mass. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, it's so that, by the way, the N in the N95 uh, means not resistant to oil. I've always wondered what that meant. Well, like in the
1: back of my head, kind of.
2: I know. And 95 means that its ability to remove at least 95% of submicron particles. We're talking about like viruses, dust, pollen, haze and oh, wow. smoke oh, well, so that's a whole lot of well, things
1: I, I know leslie's allergic, allergic to pollen we need to give him some of those i'm sure they're in high if demand right now i don't think we can get our hands on them <laughs> yeah but really yeah i mean it's not 100
2: percent, but 95 percent that must be that's very finely is it woven material it or? isn't it's non-woven material um and it's four plies of polypropylene media mm. and so um many plies many many <laughs> plies yes the, the and, and basically, it's got low infiltration efficiency and breathing resistance and serve primarily to contain the middle layer. Um, so it's thermal-bound, uh, non-woven fabrics. Okay. And, and the technology to produce this has a Taiwanese inventor. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, Peter Tsai himself. So, um, it, you know, uh, the thing is that he became known only because recently he made a video about how to disinfect these N95 um, masks. And that's why, you know, that's why we realized that, oh, he's actually the inventor oh. of this mask. Even so people he's very, didn't know. <laughs> yeah, he's very low profile, apparently. He keeps a low profile of this. Um, it says that it can actually... Um, what found that the charged medium has 10 times the filtration efficiency of an uncharged medium, of an average mask. So, so. they're doing a lot better than we right. are with our masks better. Right, 10 times better. We should mention that we are, everyone
1: now has to wear masks at work. That's a company policy here at the station, but also on public transport now. So, yeah. But if you had an N95 mask on, boy, would you be protected. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You'll be totally protected. Mm. So, you know, it seems that these masks, um, you can treat using bleach. That's... Surprising. Um, as long as it doesn't include surfactants. No, I don't know what that is. You better just bleach.
1: check on the label.
2: Yeah, and hot water generally does not affect the mass filtration performance, too. That's surprising. Well, I guess if it's so, not. Yeah. Oh. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely a lot more firm. Mm. It's like 3D kind of you know, mask, right? Yes. And I
1: wonder how many lives it must have saved, honestly.
2: Um, Yeah, that's right. There's
1: another invention. This one is a new one, um, and it's getting attention, although I've seen some other countries have been sort of uh, copying it, but I think we got there first. It's a Taiwanese doctor who's invented a way to keep patients safe, I guess, with a mask shortage going on. And it's apparently attracting attention, especially in Indonesia right now.
2: Uh Uh-huh. You're talking about the... um... The acrylic box? The whole head box. Yeah. It's like a clear actually, glass you know, box. I didn't know that it was designed by the Taiwanese again, but, you know, actually on some news reporting on TV, I've seen these boxes. Right. And I didn't know that that actually the inventor was, you know, a Taiwanese. So what it is, it's like this acrylic box. It's it's transparent. Right. And it's got two holes where the doctor can, like, put their hands through to hmm. uh, do the intubating um, of um, you know, like uh, patients who supposedly have the novel coronavirus. Doesn't that sort of limit the its
1: effectiveness though? Because you've got two big holes in it. I mean, I guess they have to breathe I think somehow. But. I think it's
2: gloved, right? It's like putting their hands through the holes, but into gloves. I okay. think. Okay, but then okay. they're able to close the holes up when they're yeah, done. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, it's not so the patient everywhere. is inside the the acrylic box, mm-hmm. so that the doctor is doing this thing. You know, like poking into their throat right. and getting the culture and that kind of stuff. They can breathe. Yeah. So this is amazing. Um, basically, what happened was that this acrylic box design has gained a following in Indonesia with the help of cosmetic company. So it's a BLP Beauty that really want to do something uh, in terms of helping with the pandemic. Yeah, a lot of companies have, well, especially alcohol makers, have switched to hand sanitizer, obviously. Yeah, this is an interesting one. This is a cosmetic company. Yeah, not the people you would expect to be making acrylic boxes. Exactly. <laughs> so so I guess they were talking to a doctor at uh, the Mennonite Christian Hospital in Hualien, to which um, they say that, hey, you can make use that acrylic box and make it into a so-called aerosol box. What's that? So, um, because, because, because basically it's designed to keep a patient's fine respiratory particles, known as aerosols, away from the doctors while the patient is being intubated. Okay. Okay. So it turned out to be the best option because there's no such suppliers of such devices in Indonesia. So, um, so the supplier has now become as, is producing in bulk. And uh so far they said we've created around five hundred boxes to be distributed to hospitals around Greater Jakarta. Yeah. And um, That's a so big city. I'm not sure how much five hundred boxes is gonna do. Yeah, but no, but it's I'm a start. sure it's, it's a start. they're continue they're still gonna be mass producing it um to meet demands. Mm. But um yeah, I think this is amazing. I, this is this is really great. I've already been seeing it I, <laughs> on I, the news.
1: I guess it makes sense, though. I was thinking, why don't they wear a mask? But then you said intubation, and they can't really have a mask on while you're intubating them. So they, that right. means you're exposed, and everyone else is, too, yeah. in the room. Yeah,
2: so. uh,
1: great inventions. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that uh, Definitely. we're doing our part. As, as we've started saying recently, Taiwan is helping. That's something that uh, you see in the news a lot. Right, here's a story that some people in Taiwan think is a bit over the top. It's a story of a five-year-old boy who crashed his bike into a parked car in an alley. And the police came because the owner of the car needed to get a report for the insurance purposes. Mm-hmm. And they made the kid give a breathalyzer
2: test. <gasps> what? <laughs> police. This, can- <laughs> this is ridiculous. Isn't that a little bit... Mm? Yeah, really. Um, I mean, the police...
1: Wanted to do this breathalyzer on the boy, or? Well, it's standard procedure, apparently. They have to. Standard They are procedure. required to, to have it be, uh-huh. I guess, fully according to the book. So they can put it in the books, yeah. Yeah, so the police in Taijong were criticized after images of this actually went online. The owner of the car apparently <sighs> took pictures of the kid. <laughs> And posted them, but saying, I think the owner had some good intentions, trying to say, look, this even a five-year-old kid uh, got in touch with his parents and uh, was being honest with it, and he could have run away, but... (laughs) apparently also their neighbors so that's going to be awkward from now on but yeah uh, um yeah uh the the police actually responded to some of this criticism the national police agency says that uh, in accordance with the principle of fairness officers are required to take statements from all parties in an accident and that includes in statement apparently a sobriety test (laughs) that's the rule Okay. okay So there was no misconduct, on, no misconduct on the part of the officer, is what they're saying. He acted in accordance with standard police procedure. Which <laughs> I
2: don't know. I guess yeah. The, even though you know the person who did it was a five-year-old, I guess you just have to go through the procedures. But I'm as so. Are we saying that this boy actually made a dent in this person's car?
1: Yeah, it looks like it. And they reached um, an agreement. The owner and the family who live next door. The boy's. Family uh, reached an agreement about repairs. Okay. The boy's mother, however, was not very—I don't think—happy about this and asked why that was needed, (laughs) and said that police really should be more flexible in such situations. Flexible. Or you have anyway uh, the precinct that was sent out the officers to do this has since said that it's going to bring this issue to people higher up, which means that it's going to get lost. It's probably in a bureaucratic chain, and we'll never hear about it again. But, oh. you know, that's how these things go. They're going to ask ask anyway if children might be exempted from breathalyzer tests right. when they crash their bikes. <laughs> well, we came back not long ago from a, a long weekend. Uh, and... It was a bit scary because people maybe weren't exercising their best judgment. I don't mm-hmm. know if you... You probably saw the news, right, over the weekend? Oh, yeah. When lots of people, may, many of them not wearing masks, were congregating <laughs> in popular tourist places. And it got so bad that the government actually sent out alert text messages to people in that, like, a certain mile radius of these sites saying, yeah, stop going there. Mm-hmm. Apparently... Um, hotels and stuff were complaining because afterwards people who had maybe booked for the next day of the long weekend all started canceling. Oh. So there's been some criticism of like the fact that this was all sent out and everything in the middle of the holiday instead of beforehand mm-hmm. when they could have sort of warned people about these things. Well, um,
2: I mean, we didn't know that people was going to start like holding to I'm these tourist surprised. places. I mean, yeah, you know. Everyone's been so good about. I know, so good about, you know, social distancing and wearing masks and not going to these, you know, um, crowded places or whatever. Right. And you get it one four day weekend and then and and everyone's then going everyone crazy. So, yeah, people start laxing when, when I don't know, is it because we're just getting too much compliments from people saying that we're doing a good job? And so people start laxing. That's what scares and me, because once it starts spreading
1: domestically, then we have a problem. Yes. So far, with the border shut and everything, it's a handful of cases where they're not sure where it's coming from. But definitely, they're controlled in quarantine and not enough to be alarming mm-hmm. Um so they have some uh, experts, some academics actually, who are, are giving suggestions. Um, so here I've got a story with comments from a professor of tourism management, actually, at National Kaohsiung University of Hospitality and Tourism, who suggests that um, they should have like sensors and stuff put up at places like night markets to keep, because it's not just about uh, keeping people healthy. It's also a concept about a concept called tourism carrying capacity, which I'd never heard of before. Um, mm-hmm. What that means is like, the maximum number of people you can have in a place without, I guess, not making each other sick, but also harming the environment and causing a decrease in the quality of everyone's satisfaction, because it's just too crowded. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. Um, and some sites that were uh, sort of he, he sort of uh, pointed out for crowd control measures were not just closed spaces, actually, but places where people flocked this past weekend uh, and they had alerts for. Ali Shan, mm-hmm. a famous mountain. That's very outdoorsy,
2: but. You mean prior to the long weekend?
1: Yeah, during the long weekend,
2: people during, were flocking okay. there. So do you think that these places knew that they were going to get crowds or didn't. Mm. They, they, were, they were also unexpected and shocked and everything? Yeah, and there was.
1: Uh, Kanding, which is a popular beach sort of resort in the south of Ta- the far oh, south yeah. of Taiwan. Oh yeah, and that's very nice. But um, the like they have a very well known night market main drag that has mm-hmm. lots of stalls on both sides of it, and the beaches, of course. And you know, in other countries, beaches are closed. Mm-hmm. I, I think like yeah, that, that's oh. probably a good idea to have those things. And censors in front of night markets is definitely a good idea. It's a bit Orwellian, like people uh-huh. are watching you, but also monitor foot traffic and make sure that there aren't... If it's just counting people, I guess that's fine. You yeah. Know? Um,
2: you know, I'm thinking maybe because we've been getting rain lately and people just wanted to go south because mm. the weather's nicer and warmer there. In Taipei, we've been having rain lately, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant, yeah. Um,
1: and uh, there's another comment here, this one from a professor at Datong Institute of Technology's Department of Travel and Leisure Management who says that... Uh, Yeah, like I said, they should have maybe decided this beforehand instead of waiting till halfway through the break, realizing what was going on, and then sending out the message, because that kind of caused a bit of alarm and led to cancellations. And if people had anticipated this beforehand and sort of like made an effort to, I guess maybe they just figured everyone's going to stay home because Uh everyone had been so far. Um, Yeah.
2: I wonder if they, those places kind of, like, they were excited when they got all these bookings from other people coming and hmm. they... You know you know how it's affecting the economy and everybody's sure. like you know
1: there but I would have been worried because that comes before the crash right when yeah. a, if a bunch of people are all there at once and then people start getting sick then everything is shut down at least thus far they're then, at least able to be open right we
2: don't want that to happen when they're closed then so, nobody's
1: making money so I don't, know. I don't know someone
2: overlooks something so
1: this professor says that the government if the pandemic continues before the next holiday comes along should maybe think about these things we're of a ways off yet though so We've uh, got a few months may yeah mayish so may-ish. Yeah. May or June, around then. <laughs> anyway, that does, the, that does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. And I'm Shirley Lin. Don't go anywhere just yet. Up next, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. Lights. Camera. Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema.
3: Coverage of Okudi Bito, or The Departures as it is known in the English speaking in world. It is a Japanese film released in 2008 that deals with the subject of death and funeral burial. Although it focuses on a rather unusual subject matter, one that arguably has different significance for people from different countries and cultures around the world. Despite its uniqueness, or perhaps because of it, as well as other factors, such as its heartwarming story and beautiful cinematography and soundtrack, the film won the Best Foreign Language Film Award at the 2008 Oscars, making it one of the most high-profile Japanese films to come out in recent years. We began to look at the film's story last week, and here's a quick recap. The film's protagonist, Daigo Kobayashi, loses his job as a cellist in an orchestra shortly after the film opens. What is even worse is that he feels that he has reached the end of his talent and interest and no longer wants to continue any further in this career. He sells off his expensive cello and, along with his wife Mika, moves from the urban metropolitan that is Tokyo to Yamagata, a remote rural area where he grew up. He soon stumbles upon a new job opportunity after seeing a newspaper ad, though he mistakenly thought he was going for an interview for a job at a travel agency, by the time he arrives at the location, he finds out that the position is that of a mortician. A person who prepares dead bodies for funeral. And things really doesn't work out too well on his first few days his very first job is to clean up a dead body that's been left there unfound and decomposing for days and upon finding out about his new job his childhood friend and his wife decide to leave and distance themselves from him so that's where we're at and that leaves a number of questions where does Daigo go from here? How will he continue with his life now that he's very much alone and alienated by his surroundings? How does he still wrestle with the fact that he touches and prepares deceased people on his job, which makes it very much part of a taboo subject in Asian culture and especially in Japan? And when we turn our attention from his outward struggle to his inward journey, will he ever find peace with his late father who forced him into a career he doesn't enjoy and left his family when he was young? Now, to answer the most immediate question, I think naturally when a person faces this amount of pushback and criticism from his surroundings, he would have second thoughts about the choices that got him there. And Daigo certainly does have second thoughts at this point in his life. Despite being paid pretty well, he's thinking about quitting. In one scene, shortly after his wife Mika left him, Daigo sits down with his boss with the intention of telling him that he could no longer take the pressure that comes with his job. Meishi, huh? do you still? What? His boss tells him to come in and sit down. It's worth noting that the boss's office is a rather unusual one. The room is filled with pots of green plants of different species and sizes, to the point where someone could easily mistaken it for a greenhouse. The office is a rather contrasting imagery to the nature of their work, which is dealing with death. Daigo sits down across from his boss, and before he can say anything, his boss begins to tell him how he himself got into the mortician business. As it turns out, his wife passed away nine years ago, and she was the first deceased person that a boss had to personally take care of before sending her off for cremation. It was then that boss had the realization that death really is a part of life. A stop that everyone will eventually come to. And to be able to send off the deceased by making them look their best is, in his mind, a very, very noble thing to do. This conversation convinces Daigo to give the job another crack. On the following job... The father of a young man who passed away broke down in tears after he sees his son in his fully restored youth for one last time before the coffin closes. This moment makes Daigo realize that there really is indeed meaning and dignity behind his work. And when he looks beyond the obvious, he realizes that he doesn't just prepare dead bodies for burial or cremation. He restores them to their best self, and that, in turn, consoles the family members to a great extent.
1: Hi, So is. you a gift
3: The film then presents a montage of Daigo and his company being contacted in the following weeks and months by different families to take care of their deceased members. It is in this montage that we, the audience, get to see the day-to-day work that Daigo has to do through his eyes. We see him shaving the faces of the deceased, putting on makeup, loosening their joints to put their bodies in the most peaceful positions, and dressing them up in shroud. His every move is slow and graceful, his face solemn. And we see that he has found an enormous amount of fulfillment and peace in what he does as he is totally immersed in it. And people respond to that energy. We see granddaughters bursting into laughter after seeing their late grandmother dress in her favorite clothes. We see parents shed tears After seeing their children lie peacefully We see family members Stopping their feud And put down their differences Seeing the TCs lie at peace Has this magical power Of bringing the best side of those Who are alive and grieving It is at this time in Daigo's life That his wife Mika Returns from her parents' house And with good news Mika is pregnant with her child
4: 掃除たまに
3: When she asks him the second time to change his job, Daigo receives a phone call that informs him that lady at the local bathhouse that he and his wife used to frequent has suddenly passed away. The public bathhouse is a small social hub in this town. It is a place where people meet and hang out after a relaxing bath. Therefore, the passing away of the owner comes as a shock, not just to her family, but to the entire community as a whole. On the other hand, this also gives Mika an opportunity to see for the first time by herself what Daigo actually does on his job. The lady's entire family is there. Mika is there. Members of the local community, they're all there to watch Daigo quietly dresses her up, step by step. To them, Daigo's graceful movements convey this almost zen-like energy that transforms the entire room we can see that Mika's opinion about her husband's work begins to change after seeing him in person. She begins to realize that what he does is incredibly important and dignifying to many, and that he has also found this sense of purpose and fulfillment that he has never had on his previous job, no matter how glorious it looked on the outside in the remainder of the movie, we'll see how Daigo and Mika's relationship further develops, and we'll see as he progresses and grows as a person, how one incident eventually allows him to come to terms with what happens between him and his father when he was young. So please tune in next week to Lights Camera Asia, and we'll dive in deeper to this beautiful film. I'm Jake Chen, talk to you next week.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight.
2: Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and today my guest is Claire Ho, who is actually a freshman at the University of the Arts in London. And um, the thing is that she's from Taiwan. I know her mom very well, but uh, she's back here now, of course, because of the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, Her school is closed um, until further notice. But um, I'm just curious to know how Claire's faring this outbreak and, you know, the quarantine and all that. So let's say hi to Claire. Hi, Claire. Hi, Shirley. Yes. How are you doing?
4: Uh, Good. I'm doing all right.
2: Actually, um, it's been what, exactly a week now, I think, at at this time of the interview that you've been in quarantine, right?
4: Yeah, I think I have a week left.
2: Is it bearable? (laughs) Are you holding out all right? Yeah.
4: Mm, Not really, no.
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, first of all, um, I just want to know what happened over at at your end um, when you were still in London I mean the school announced that the school is closing and that everybody has to leave campus uh
4: not leave campus it's just it won't be open
2: okay well, what, but what does that mean I mean uh, apparently I was told that you kind of shared an apartment or what did you call it uh with uh, three other classmates and were they classmates?
4: Uh, no, they weren't in my class. They were uh, in other schools.
2: Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Got it. But um, you all have your own individual rooms, but then you guys share the same kitchenette and same um, living room or something like that. But you were the last one to leave. And so, um, mm, yeah. so you're talking about this housing is actually off campus. Is that right? Or is it on campus? Yeah, that's
4: why they don't ask us to leave campus, because the accommodation is not in the same place as the actual school building.
2: Okay, got it, got it. So, anyway, so, of course, when you know that school was closing, then you were scrambling to, you know, get a plane ticket, right? Was that hard?
4: No, because I'm not the one who bought the plane ticket. My mom was just like, oh, you're going home next week, and make sure to pack all your stuff.
2: Right, okay. So, you packed all your stuff. I mean... Like everything like clear out the whole place when yeah, you said pack- I'm,
4: I'm not coming back, so I just bought like a temporary storage place and then put everything in boxes.
2: oh wow, okay, uh-huh. What was it like leaving the airport there were they was there a lot of restrictions i mean um, what did they require to do to get on a plane?
4: Uh, it was really relaxed to be honest, there wasn't a lot of people there because um by that time. London was already in lockdown, so you weren't allowed to leave the house unless absolutely necessary. So, and plus we were going out of London. Usually, if you're going into the UK, the security will be more serious. Mm. But because we we're leaving the country, so they didn't really care as much.
2: Okay. So at the time when you left, were they requiring you to wear um, surgical masks?
4: Only for like the flight to Taiwan, not like in the airport or anything.
2: Oh, really? Okay. So, you hardly saw anyone wearing surgical masks at the airport there?
4: No, except for like Taiwanese people.
2: <laughs> Did that make you more comfortable taking out the surgical mask and putting it on? Did you put it on when you were there?
4: Uh, yeah, we had we had to. Yeah.
2: Oh, oh, but, uh, oh, as you walk through customs, they required you to put on a mask, is that right?
4: Oh, uh, Oh, no, not
2: customs. Only when you're like actually on the plane. On the plane. Oh. Yeah. Because um, wait, which um, which airline were you taking?
4: China Airlines.
2: I yeah, think. it's Taiwan's national airline. So obviously, when you get on the plane, because you know here in Taiwan, it's very common to see people wearing surgical masks. Even you know, not when we were having the outbreak, because people yeah. here in Taiwan like to wear masks on the train, on the subway. Um, just yeah, yeah. to protect themselves or when they are sick themselves, then they put on a surgical mask. So it's really common to do that. And yeah, so, cool yeah, right. And so that's why when you say China Airlines, I thought, oh, obviously they would require you to put on a facial mask. Okay. Yeah. So then was it a crowded plane?
4: Uh, it was pretty full. I think most of the passengers were like around my age or in their like 20s. So I'm guessing it was mostly like also college students coming back.
2: Wow. And now, it was a long flight. How many hours was that?
4: 14, I think.
2: Uh-huh. And um, did you eat on a plane? Did you go use the bathroom on a plane?
4: I mean, yeah. I'm not going to hold in my key for 14 hours.
2: I know. You know, some people said that they were so nervous about this that they decided not to take down their mask at all throughout the flight and not eat oh, and not yeah. go to the bathroom. And oh, I'm, yeah. I, I know. know. Yeah, I'm thinking that yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. But then it would have worried me, you know, thinking about sharing the bathrooms with people who might be confirmed cases or something. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so you didn't care. But So was it um, was it tiring on the plane? Was there Were you nervous? Were you uptight? Or what did you do? You watched movie after movie. What did you do?
4: It was okay. I wasn't nervous or anything. Um, I just watched movies and slept. That was it.
2: Yeah. You didn't eat?
4: I did, I did. I oh. mean, when... There was food I ate, and then besides, I just slept and watched movies.
2: All right, all right. Okay, so then when you got to Taiwan, um, what did they do at the customs? Was there anything that required you to do? I heard that it was really Um, quick. I mean, you kind of, like, passed through customs electronically. Is that true?
4: Yeah, you had to, like, scan this QR code and fill out this form thing to, like, prove that you weren't contaminated Uh or infected. And then they, like, they took your temperature, like, at the airport as well.
2: At the airport. But what about before you got off the plane? Did they do anything? Did they come onto no. the plane? to No. So it was all no. after you get off the plane. Uh, did they require you to put a mask or even like protective gear or whatever? No, just mask. Uh,
4: no, I mean, some people brought like glasses, like Goggles. Glass glasses yeah, or like raincoats or something. But all they like required you to do was to put on a mask.
2: Ah, uh, okay. Well, I know that your mom kind of sent you stuff. Like, I don't know. I don't know what she got you. Yeah. Did you put any of them on? <laughs> I know your mom was really concerned about it. Oh, you, yeah. Yeah. Um, did you put them on? She
4: sent me, like, masks and um, alcohol gloves? wipes, I think.
2: Oh, alcohol wipes. Okay. Yeah. But you didn't put on gloves or anything like that. Well, she didn't get that for you.
4: <laughs> uh No, I had, like, one of those e pushing gloves. But I didn't really think I'd need it. I just washed my hands before I ate.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. That meant going to the bathroom <laughs> more. Yeah, more I
4: mean, I, I didn't really mind, to be honest, because, like, they're saying, like, the COVID-19 is, like, mostly targeting boomers. So it, we don't really need to worry as, like, the younger generation.
2: Oh, well, that's, that's not necessarily true. (laughs) But anyway, you're brave. Okay, so I don't know if it's, if it's better that, you know, young people kind of like not as concerned, so that they go about their days, you know, not as worried. But I don't know, I mean, COVID-19 does get to younger people too. And also the fact that you can carry it without showing any symptoms yeah <laughs> okay so anyway when you got to taiwan and after going through customs in taiwan at the at the airport here um what happened next i mean your parents were there but they kept a distance from you did they drive mm-hmm. you no, or did they? they weren't so there. what happened they oh they weren't, they weren't there. there okay they waited for you at the house where you were supposed to quarantine yourself i get it so but yeah. how did you get to your home i mean you were on your own or nobody nobody escorted you
4: No, we just, I just took a taxi. Yeah, we had, like, special taxis that were, like, specially disinfected and
2: stuff, so. Right, right. There were these taxi drivers who were willing to kind of, like, send, um, you know, passengers who need to be quarantined to their respective places. You know, the government had to recruit those kind of drivers who were willing to risk their lives for that, (laughs) you know, so. Yeah,
4: but, like, before we got in, they, like, sprayed us down, so.
2: Oh, spray what? Uh, where? I mean, when?
4: I mean, like, before we got into the taxi. It was, like, specially for the taxi service oh, before got you got it. into the car.
2: Oh, got it. They, like, it.
4: spray you down with, like, alcohol.
2: Really? Sprayed you, yeah. like, all over? I mean...
4: Yeah, and, like, my jacket and my luggage and stuff.
2: Wow. And then from head to toe?
4: Yeah, basically.
2: So, I mean, uh, you had your mask on. And so it... Yeah. it so it smelled like alcohol. Like rubbing alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't that bad. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. Watching on the news thinking, oh, my gosh, what are they spraying on me? Could I get, you know, get poisoned by it or something like that? (laughs) Okay. So then throughout the whole cab ride, um, you had to wear your mask. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then you got home and uh, apparently they, it's the Centers for Disease Controls that calls you every day to make sure that you're being a goody-goody and staying home and being quarantined. Is that right?
4: Uh, No. It's just like it's like the lead of like every area. Oh, oh,
2: got it. Okay. Huh. I'm a little confused right now because um, I know that the procedure is the same. Um, you know, requirements as to how you should be quarantined uh, and what you should be doing during the 14-day quarantine. But um, but something about whether it's the neighborhood chief makes the call every day or it's the, oh, I know now. If, you, if you're someone who was in contact with someone who was a confirmed case, then you would, be, um, you would be monitored by the Centers for Disease Control. I think that's what it was. So you'd quarantine yourself because you came back from the UK and um, everybody now coming abroad has to be quarantined for 14 days. So that so you are being monitored by the neighborhood chief. So um, he or she calls you once every day. Is that right? Or what? Yeah. Uh-huh. And what happens if uh, you weren't there to pick up the call?
4: Uh, I <laughs> you have know. To- <laughs> I've
2: always up the call. <laughs> you have to pick up the call. So what time d- does the uh, neighborhood chief usually call you?
4: You can tell him, like, what time is best for you. and I Oh, really? Him two so. Oh, uh, okay.
2: And what kind of questions does he or, or she ask? Is it he or she? It's a he. Okay. What kind of questions does he ask you?
4: It's like a five-second call. He's just like, oh, hi, how's your temperature? Okay, bye.
2: Oh, okay. So you have uh, a thing to take your temperature with every day? Yeah. And so uh, did you get that yourself? Did your mom get that for you or, or the neighborhood chief gave it, gave it to you?
4: Uh no, my mom gave it to me. But oh. you can like get one from like the lead if you don't have
2: one. Oh really? For free, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, so obviously the neighborhood chief was informed about your arriving in Taiwan and that you would start your fourteen day quarantine, right? So so yeah. he's being informed. I see. Mm-hmm. Wow. Has he ever come by your place and and check up on you? No. No. Okay, you've been good, so he doesn't need to come by. (laughs) So ideally, you have not stepped out of your house for, what, the last seven days?
4: Yeah.
2: Wow, what's it like? Is it boring? I mean,
4: not really. I'm getting along just
2: fine. You're getting along just fine? What do you do every day?
4: Because I have, like, a couple of friends online, and we Uh just play games together, and they keep me company.
2: Oh, my goodness, but that's talking about 24 hours. Well, maybe not. You sleep eight hours or nine, so that's, what, 24 minus nine? That's 15 hours. I mean, what can you do with those 15 hours? (laughs) (laughs) We play video games for fifteen hours. Oh well, you well at least you got uh, you know common um, what hobby and interest, and that can keep you occupied. But I couldn't imagine myself you know fifteen hours not knowing what to do with myself. Do you have a TV? Do you watch TV? You're no, not into that. I, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, I, I I can't stand it. I mean, do you take naps during the day? Because you have so much spare time.
4: No, because um, we we all love to play video games. Um, yeah so we just and we have we're like in the same time zone. So mm. they get online around the same time as I do. So mm. we just play video games for like the whole day.
2: So um what about schoolwork? I mean, you don't have any schoolwork to catch up on like bring home and do on your own or that kind of thing? None.
4: Um we have like one more assignment, but they gave us an extension because of the whole thing.
2: Oh, what what kind of assignment is that? Is that doing a report or something? A book report?
4: <laughs> yeah. uh, no, thankfully. It's like an art project.
2: Oh, well, you're going to have to get out of the house to do that, right? Or or you can do that project just in the house alone?
4: Some of it I can do alone, but yeah. some of it I'll need to go outside to do it.
2: Oh, good. So anyway, you've got another seven days left and then you're out of yeah. this quarantine.
4: It's okay. I mean, I don't mind.
2: And so um, your mom's like bringing you food every day, but they have to keep a distance from you.
4: Yeah, we just both have to wear masks and stay at like an arm's length.
2: Do you hope that school would start soon enough? Are you going to be able to graduate on time then?
4: (laughs) There's only one month left of our last semester anyways. And then after that, it's summer vacation. Uh So even if school does start up again, we're just going to wait until next semester starts in like September and then go back.
2: Oh, so ideally you're just missing out for a one-month school. That's that's all there is. Oh, well, that's yeah. not too bad, I guess. Thank you so much for this time. Thank all you. All right. Well, good luck with everything. Stay healthy and safe. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, Claire.
4: Okay. Bye bye.
2: Bye bye.
0: In Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kilohertz and in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you.